HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Um, I'm your host, Kathy Airway, and um, we have a great guest in the studio today. But I'm just going to take one moment to give a very special Valentine's Day shout out to our lovely engineer, Liz Smith. It is your last day at Heritage Radio Network. I know. And she's going on to an exciting journey with Bloomberg News, and we're so excited for her. But um, seriously, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. And thank you. And um, next week when I come and you're not in the sound booth, I'm probably going to cry. So we love you, Liz. All right. So sad, sad farewells, fun beginnings. And an exciting journey that I want to talk about today. My guest today is brilliant journalist and educator, um, Simran Sethi. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I feel so honored to be on Liz's last show. I know. I know. It's a special Thanks. day for us all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, but you came in from North Carolina and you're on a tour for this wonderful book. Um, just to... Just to fill you guys in a little bit more, Simran is a uh, journalist and educator focused on food, sustainability, and social change. You're also the former environmental correspondent for NBC News. You anchored the PBS Quest series on science and sustainability. And you're the host of the Emmy award-winning PBS documentary, A School in the Woods. So, your book, Bread, Wine, and Chocolate, The Slow Loss of Foods We Love. Mm, This is an amazing book. Oh, Congratulations. God, Kathy, thank you. This thank is really, you. really, like, I'm so excited about this book, and I can't wait to, I'm so honored to share it, actually. Thanks, Mama. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. Um, I love that it's, um, you know, we kind of joked about this being like a funny Valentine's Day subject, mm-hmm. but it really is so much about love. And if you don't mind, I wanted to read from a little 
excerpt. Is that okay? Are you going to read it? This yes, is my that dream okay? come true. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. I will try to do it justice. Okay. All right. In its best manifestation, food is love. One of the most intimate com- connections that exists between people. But love is hard, and improving our relationships is work. It requires not only a commitment to ourselves and the objects of our care, but a willingness to see and do things differently. In order to transform our love lives, change our diets, or increase biodiversity, we first have to understand the connections and factors that inform those choices. So, mm. food and love. Food is love. Food is right? love. I mean, and I just think that, for me, this journey, you know, the book technically is about the loss of agricultural biodiversity, which is the loss of diversity in every element, every component that makes food possible from the soil to the seed, to the pollinator, on to crops, to animals, to fish. But it's really at its essence about who we are and Mm -hmm. who we want to be and how we want to move in the world and how we want to um, feast on our lives. That's Mm -hmm. a poem that we start with at the beginning of the book, Derek Wolcott's Love After Love. And it is everything to me. Whatever you choose, let it be an informed decision. Work hard for what you love and savor it. Feast on it. Own it. And that's what I want to do or what I hoped to do with this book is just help give people enough information to really fully own and embody those decisions and come Mm -hmm. from an informed place. And this book is so, um, it takes a really unique stance because I I think that it seems to stand on a really simple edict, which is if you love something like chocolate, um, let's protect it. Yeah. And let's preserve it. And that let's, I don't want to sound too precious, but Mm -hmm. let's honor it. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's really understand it and appreciate it for what it is. And that, to me, is what gets lost. When you pay 99 cents for a Snickers or Twix or what have you, which is certainly, I mean, I will cut you for a Twix in an airport if Mm -hmm. I have to. But, you know, my my tastes have evolved um, through this awareness that I actually, I want to pay a price that reflects and honors the people who cultivated cacao. Cacao mm-hmm. is what becomes chocolate. I, I don't get any joy out of spending 99 cents on a bottomless cup of coffee because that means someone didn't get paid and it's probably not the CEO of the company. And now mm-hmm. that I've actually met these farmers, I've gone to Ecuador and been with cacao farmers you know, in Ecuador and in Trinidad when I've sat with farmers in Ethiopia, the origin of coffee, the mm-hmm. birthplace of coffee is Ethiopia. You know, right. that now I just... I see how hard they work. I see how incredible they are. And it's no longer abstract. It's not farmers in fields. It's not workers in factories. It's people. It's people like us who want to be nourished, who want to have good lives. And my decisions, our decisions actually help transform their lives. And I didn't really deeply understand that until right. I took this journey. And um, I, I totally understand with that. I mean, we all see these foods, take them for granted. They're a part of our lives. Um, we have our favorite bread makers, our favorite chocolates and all that stuff. But um, you really dig to the very root, the very origins and um, uncover uh, where it all starts. And I think that it's um, it's very empowering to do that, to trace a food, something you really love and get to know it yeah. a little bit better. Intimately. <laughs> I mean, Intimately. We, ta- we put these things in our body mm-hmm. and Coffee sets the tone of every day of my adult life. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to undermine that. Chocolate was my every birthday Speaking cake. Of oh, look at you! You just she's just you know Kathy is just going for the chocolate and she's going I'm for the good stuff. And it. you're not Thank honoring you. it, sister. Slow <laughs> down. Slow down and savor that. Okay. Someone uh, brought some chocolate and I'm like, I'm going to put it into my body. Thank garfing you. it. Down. <laughs> 
everyone. Um, Sorry. And, and that no, I want. I love that you're loving it. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about. I, w- I would love to talk about that chocolate because it's mm-hmm. the it's the most precious and delicious of chocolates. Is what yeah. you just put into your lovely mouth. And so, um, but just to go back for a second, mm-hmm. and I well, I may have lost my train of thought, but just mm-hmm. that idea of that. Um, all these things do come from somewhere. They are deep origins and that they set the tone of our lives. And that coffee didn't come from the hipster roaster down the street. That coffee came from a faraway place. And really people far. worked really hard to get it to you. And that, you know, that cacao, I mean, I can't even tell you how hard it is to harvest the cacao that becomes Ooh. chocolate. I can't even tell you how hard it is to make chocolate. I don't, I mean, I can't believe these makers are incredible. The beans and, yeah. you ferment, and, and, you know, for me, it's like it was every birthday cake. It was my <laughs> wedding cake. It got me through my divorce. Chocolate wrote every page of this 268 page book. You know, that it has been my constant. And yet I knew so little about it. I wouldn't even be able to recognize it in nature. You know, where does it come from? And those things, I don't know, they've humbled me and they made me so much more grateful for what I have. Freaky. It's so true. Um, And we see like the the ramifications of the slow loss or the loss of biodiversity um, sort of crop up in, in different ways. So we see things like, you know, we hear about issues around fair trade now and then. We we see things like sustainable labels and so forth. But it's it can be a, really a jungle to navigate all the issues. So... Thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, we could parallel it to Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. right? We're here together right now. Is love a Hallmark card and a Whitman sampler? Or is love really hard and complex? And, like, when it's done well, when you love someone deeply, like, you're holding a whole continuum of complexity. And I think that's what I was trying to get at here is that the, there aren't simple answers. But if we give ourselves enough information about the things that we love, then we can arrive at an answer that makes sense to us in any given moment. And let that be dynamic. You know, what I was, you know, someone had asked me, like, what's your favorite wine? And I was like, well, I can say it was the one I wrote about in the book mm-hmm. with the last harvest, but the new harvest hasn't come out yet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that maker. I love that grape, but mm-hmm. I'm willing to be open to the possibility of loving something else or appreciating what I love in a new way. And I think, you know, not to get too heavy handed about it, but I really think like this is something that we've gotten farther away from Mm -hmm. you know at least I'm 45 years old in my lifetime food it's all of a sudden like I read about it all the time there's all these cooking competitions on TV and what have you but I'm less connected than I've ever been Mm -hmm. and um and I want to try to reconcile that for myself because I you know the connection to this is long the stories the memories it's not just something we shove in our gullets and like get on with our day it's like we're here at Roberta's look at all these people around us having beautiful Valentine's Day brunches Bread. together yeah. like they're coming together coffee. here you know coffee wine I see this lovely lady just finishing up her glass <laughs> yeah. you know that that like we didn't come together over a light bulb we didn't come together you know like we came together mm-hmm. over food and and I think it's really interesting that perhaps with the accept- exception of bread, um, you know, these are foods that are global and um, they're coming to us from very far away places. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't always been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and also the lack of biodiversity or the, the slow decline of which and the transformation of like mono monoculture and monocrops and all that stuff is fairly new. Um, How new exactly? Like when exactly did this all begin to unravel? I mean, you know, agriculture, the act of agriculture is one where we are actively selecting crops or livestock or whatever we're consuming for certain traits, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to go for yield. We're going to go for disease resistance. All this stuff makes sense. In this industrialized model, though, it has been taken to an extreme. Mm -hmm. So yield is everything, which is why you go to the grocery store and nine 90% 
of all the dairy products in the grocery store, you know, 90% of dairy, one cow, the Holstein Frison cow, it's the highest yielding dairy cow. It makes sense on one level. It does not make sense if you're worried about a disease, if you're worried about a pest, if you're worried about climate change, all that stuff can get wiped out. Or if you're worried about just having more types of cows. There's there's that too. <laughs> just think, yeah. We looked at these things for specific purposes and forgot to think of them as part of a dynamic ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I'm really trying to... Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not the first person to talk about any of this. Slow food has the incredible arc of taste. Gary Nabin has been talking about this, a host of people, but that I'm trying to reintroduce it through things that people already love. Mm-hmm. If we were only talking about the esoteric squash or the wild rice you'd never heard of, it's really hard to miss those things. But when I hit you with your beer and your coffee and your wine, mm-hmm. I'm telling you these things, right. these things that we love, these tastes that we save are, are threatened because we keep moving toward one type of thing, one variety, you know, our diet has shrunken now. I mean, there's a research that was done. Three-fourths of our food now comes from 12 plants, five animal species, you know. And um, and we, like, have, according to Colin Corey and these researchers who looked at 50 years of data on what 98% of the world eats, on a local level, it looks like we have more diversity. You see a mango in the middle of winter in the grocery store, you're like, what are you talking oh, about, Sarah? heirloom tomatoes are there now, we go. At, you know, key foods. How... and. Where did they come from? What is the longer story? What is mm-hmm. the cost of that? And and more importantly, on a global level, what is happening? And on a global level, we're shrinking our diets down to just a handful of foods. It's wheat. It's rice. It's soybean. It's palm oil. I mean, these things, you know, we we don't see them, canola. you know, but just canola. Flip the flip the the packaging over at the grocery store and start to read those ingredients. Start to think about how many varieties we see. I don't know if we're lucky, three to five varieties of apples in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. One of them is the horrible red delicious. Why? Why? Oh, for Kathy, why? I had a, a great guest on talking about heritage apples, and he said it's for one reason only. It's because the appearance is Beauty, beautiful. Right? Yeah. It's not delicious. It's not delicious it's at all. It's so pretty, but mm-hmm. it's just tastes horrible. And so it, ugly fruit, right? That's a whole other story. But we could grow 1,000 apples in the United States, yet nearly every historic fruit and vegetable we used to grow has disappeared in the last century, to get back to your timing question. That these things have happened over time, but the greatest changes have happened in our that's lifetime. Scary. You know? You know, that sudden shift, it sounds like, you know, there's there's going to be some serious uh, repercussions. There already and are. And there already are. And uh, okay, let's go over that, because one of them I can think of is that, you know, we're going to use much more pesticides. We're going to need them mm-hmm. to combat all the diseases and all that, you know, resistance that these monoculture crops have. Let's if go over, you yeah. If you grow them in monoculture, you are going to continue to have to put a bigger, wider, deeper chemical cocktail on top of them. We see this already. I mean, Monsanto and all and Syngenta, they already have the cocktails ready for farmers to use. But if you grow things in polycultures, if you grow crops together, if you give the soil a a chance to like rest so you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pump it full of fertilizers. Like these are actually everything... um, Everything that's happening right now is a result of, you know, that was kind of born during the Green Revolution mm-hmm. in, in the 1970s. And the goal was to feed more people. Mm-hmm. So we increased yields at any cost. But the problem is we depleted the soil, we depleted water, and we started to grow everything in these ways that only make sense if you're growing for high yield, for efficiency's sake. But at a certain point, 
They're all going to succumb to something together. We see this with coffee leaf rust. You know, Guatemala and Honduras have declared states of emergency because their entire coffee crops were wiped out. We saw this with the Irish potato famine. We're seeing this with wheat leaf rust. We're hearing it about the banana, right? Everyone's heard about the Cavendish disappearing. We don't have a backup banana ready to go. You know, so these things are happening, but I would say it feels slow. And it the reactionary like, uh, scramble to create that uh, replacement Cavendish banana. Like yeah. it's just, uh, it's just such a stopgap measure. It's not really sustainable to no. apply whenever this happens. If if your model of sustainability is something that will stand strong on store shelves, something that will ship well, mm-hmm. well, then you're achieving your goal in creating this one type of banana. But if you're going for taste, if you're going for I don't know, say nutritional value. You're going to choose for different, you're going to select for different traits. You're going to allow for more diversity. And that's the fascinating thing. We are sicker than we've ever been as a human population. You know, here in America, we're throwing 40% of our food away. Everybody knows these statistics now. You know, more people are dying from diseases related to overweight and obesity than they are from being underweight, yet we're all malnourished. So the paradox is like we have so much food, so much being thrown away, so much hunger. And we're creating a system where we keep making this more perilous when we know better. We know better. And when you love these foods, which is what I love about your book, it really takes that angle of, you know, the most beloved foods because, um, you know, we talking about food waste can get a little, it can get a little dry, can get a little grim, but you know, I love this angle and, um, we're going to get to a lot more from it, Simran, um, right after a quick little musical interlude. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. All right, we're back on air with Simran Sethi, and um, Simran is teaching me how to properly taste the piece of chocolate rather than wolf it down. There we go. Okay, Okay, so so we've got some beautiful chocolate here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, It's melting in my tongue. It's melting in your mouth. Mm -hmm. You have just put in your mouth 
a uh, piece of chocolate, a Creole, it's from the Criollo bean, which is the rarest mm. of all uh, varieties of cacao. And it comes from an area called Chihuahua in Venezuela. Okay. And what that chocolate is known for is being really delicate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it has notes of like caramel. I mean, look, first of all, I don't want to sound like one of those people who's like conjuring up things. That no, aren't I know there. what you mean. It's not as bitter as right. some bitter chocolate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. At a 70% cocoa. And it's interesting because. It, we do define it as bitter, but there's so many different no. tastes. And bitter is really, I think, a lot of times a reflection of having so much sugar in our chocolate, usually, mm-hmm. that anything that has less chocolate, uh, less sugar, excuse me, feels tastes bitter. But once yes. you get used to it, you're like, that's not bitter at all, right, you know? Right. So it's like having coffee without sugar and thinking it's bitter when it's really, mm-hmm. it's the absence of that that makes a difference. The other one, when, you're, when you have let that melt in your mm-hmm. mouth, I mean, when you've okay. just, and I think this is the interesting thing. Um, sitting with the experience, like just taking moments, not days or hours, but like to really taste what is in your mouth right now. It's really good. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's very meditative. It really, and it really can be. And I think like, that's the beauty of all of this. Like if you just take a moment to appreciate what's right in front of you, whatever it is, Um, it really shifts things and it doesn't have to be in a craft chocolate. It can be in your morning coffee, whether it comes from Dunkin' Donuts or Blue Bottle, you know, but that what I'm suggesting is that we just start to pay attention. And what I have found in my own experience is by doing that, by honestly thinking about like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? (laughs) Like what, where, how, you know, when that it's helped me to slow down to appreciate these things more and to understand why I want to save them, to understand what it is that I love about them. I I mean, I never knew there was diversity in chocolate, but I'll tell you the kinds of flavors. Each uh, chapter of the book, I talk about bread, wine, coffee, chocolate, and beer, has a tasting guide. Because to say to somebody like, hey, try the diverse varieties, mm-hmm. you know, good luck, is ludicrous. Where do we even begin, you know? When I started tasting coffee, coffee just tastes like coffee to me. I couldn't find any notes of jasmine in my coffee. I mean, I was just like, this is ridiculous. But when you spend time with it and you understand, like you just have a little bit of guidance and how do you find these things? You know, what are these tastes? What words could you use to describe it? And I think that's all we need. We just need a little bit of a map. Yeah. And then we're off to the races. And then define your own deliciousness. This isn't about Michelin stars or what Eater says is the best food. It's about what we love. And this isn't about having the best of the best either. And I think that a lot of people feel like they can only be really, um, I don't know, like, you know, kind of obsessive about things when it's like, I don't know, expensive or something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like you said, like, whether it's your Dunkin' Donuts coffee or whatever it is, you know, slowing down and thinking about it, if you like it, you know, that is, you really like it. And um, it's inspiring and it's uh, motivating to figure out the whole story. And to figure out what it would mean not to to feel that. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to feel like bougie about it or anything. It's just like, it's just um, a natural curiosity that might, you know, take you somewhere. The incredible thing to me is that for 10, 15, maybe 20 bucks, you can have the best chocolate in the world. You know, you will eat the same chocolate that I, I think Sean Eskinozzi is the one who said this, that, oh, Clay Gordon, 
chocolate writer and yes. expert, Clay Gordon, mm-hmm. said, you'll be able to eat the same chocolate the Queen of England eats. Uh, this is it, right? right? We both can achieve that or reach that place. Can't I can't really do that with wine. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's not really in my budget. But I love that idea. This is about craft beer as much as it is about, you know, a, a beautiful wine. That all of this is here and available to us. And I think that's one way that we've kind of said, oh, no, this is fancy. This belongs to us. We're the only ones, you know, people with the big budget are the only ones who can save it. And what I'm suggesting is this belongs to all of us. It is a responsibility. When we talk about the loss of agricultural biodiversity, you know, conservationists will say we save it ex situ out of place, like a seed bank or something Mm -hmm, like that. We save mm -hmm. all kinds of things. We save it in situ in the wild. We save wild places where um, the crops grow and their wild relatives grow. So if we need to breed in traits like I don't know, drought resistance, drought tolerance, sure. um, you know, pest resistance. We find them in these other, in the wild relatives of these crops or in various uh, diverse varieties. Breeding. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. We also save it in situ on farm. Those heirloom tomatoes you referenced earlier, mm-hmm. farmers growing diverse varieties. But without us, the eaters, where does all this go? Like we can save it by eating it. We can save it by by owning that we participate in our food system and that through the decisions we make, we can help reshape it. Um, I love how, you know, there's been a lot of like sort of calls to arms and manifestos written about the food system. And your book um, takes a decidedly different stance. Um, We were talking a little bit earlier about the the democratization of taste. And that's really, um, I think that you were just getting at like, what we can all do about this. And exactly. it's like, is it is it in your, well, obviously it's in the attitude and the philosophy, but is there like certain buying? Do you, do you believe that you can buy towards a better food system? I do. Mm-hmm. I think intentionality, gratitude, um, a real experience of savoring is what will reshape this for us. I think we all have memories of things that we can't find anymore. You know, maybe something our grandmother made for us or something that we used to just eat in season. You know, I mean, when did we decide, when did we settle for red delicious apples and those like <laughs> crappy baseball, like reddish pink things that, that like our tomatoes, you know, mm-hmm. like when did we say this is okay. That beef steak tomato is going to be okay for us. I, I don't want to settle mm-hmm. and we don't have to. We have choices here. We have options. Now, you know, industry will tell you the options are we can't afford anything more. We need this cheap, crappy food. I would argue, why aren't people paid enough to feed themselves well? Why did this all of a sudden become all we can afford? Then they'll say technology will save us. Why is that the only way that we can get a nutritious diet is to biofortify, you know, put put Mm -hmm. vitamins and minerals back into our foods like they were there to begin with. We stripped them away and now we're putting them back in. It doesn't have to be this way. And I'm not saying there's not a place for technology. There's not a place for, you know, looking at kind of the ways that we can increase yield and feed people. But you know, we have, we create one and a half times enough food to feed everybody on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. But what we don't have is equity. What we don't have is access. You know, the poorest people in the world, the hungriest people in the world are smallholder farmers who feed 50% of the world. And that to me is where the problem lies. And CEO pay going out of control. I mean, it's, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't it, make at sense. At the same time. So obviously you have come... You have traveled around the world to meet these people and see, you know, the root of so many of these foods. Um, there, and you came to many revelations. But what is like some of the most surprising things, like some of the most impactful things that made you go, wow? Hmm? The most impactful thing, what a beautiful question, was to realize that after being an environmental journalist for ten over 10 years and saying, 
you know, change your light bulbs and and walk, don't <laughs> drive, you know, and put on a sweater, which we've definitely done today here in the studio. You know, that, that these things didn't feel full of joy. And all of a sudden, here I was being able to say, the solution to making things better is to savor your life, to feast on your life, to pay attention, to embrace deliciousness. And, you know, I mean this in the broad philosophical way, but I also mean it in the specificity of food. And I think, um, and to know that we really... I mean, I, I would say, I've said so many times, like, we vote with our dollars and all this. And then I'm there with farmers in Ethiopia. And I'm realizing every time I reach in my cabinet for a coffee from Ethiopia as opposed to a coffee from Colombia or Kenya, I'm making a decision that triggers a whole set of decisions that ultimately ends up with that farmer. And I want to follow the trajectory. I can't do that with everything I put in no. my mouth. But yep. to choose the things that we love and to say, you know, whatever it is, even if it's not bread, wine, coffee, chocolate, beer, you can be a vegan teetotaler because this impacts every food that we grow, that we cultivate, that we raise. And it's finding what you love and saying, like, in this area, I will choose something else. In this area, I will choose what aligns with what I love. And I will embrace that. And this is one of the things that like uh, makes your book so enjoyable is that you savor these moments in writing. And it's um, it's just I love this like little reverie that you have at uh, Cho Chocolate Factory in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Yeah. I've also been on that tour. So oh, that was great. fun. Yeah. And um, you just stop and like smell the chocolate in the room. And yeah. uh, it's just you and know, you say so- this is what I don't want to lose. I had mm-hmm. spent at that point. I'd been in Rome. I'd been at the Food and Agriculture of the UN. I'd buy overseas international. I was going to write a book about rice, corn, and potatoes. And then oh. there I am on okay. a cleanse. <laughs> you know, I decided to clean up my system. I mean, and like it went in Rome. I really indulged that. So I was like, okay, I'm in California. I'll just you know clean it up for a minute. And I end up interviewing a chocolate maker who used to be a botanist. And I'm going through the Cho factory with Brad yeah. Kinser. And I realized this is what I don't want to lose. Yeah. This. This is the defining part of my life. I can actually be, I'm going to be okay without corn. For me personally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But there are a lot of people, a lot of cultures in the world where corn is the thing that, that, that is their anchor. You know? For Indians, it's wheat. I mean, like, <laughs> we got that covered, you know, depending on northern India. Southern India, it's rice. Like, that there right. are things that we associate with who we are. And ultimately, that's what I think this is about. The genetic erosion is happening. But what I'm also really concerned about is the cultural erosion, mm-hmm. where everything becomes cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Where you go to McDonald's, every Everywhere in the world, there's a little localization, but most of it is the same, you know, and what we have the opportunity to do here is embrace what's diverse in us, Mm -hmm. is embrace what's wild in us and to savor and really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is off topic, but can we talk for a moment about avocados? Because I know a lot of people who are having a love affair right now, to like an extreme love affair with their everyday avocado smeared on a toast and yeah. what have you. Yeah. And then, you know, there's there's jumping prices, there's all these issues and shortages and all this stuff. So, I mean, I think that maybe a lot of people might be going through these same revelations and hopefully maybe digging into it a little bit more. I hope so. And I think it's just really like, look, whether you're looking at the avocado or the banana, Mm -hmm. just remember this is one part of a bigger whole. And everything is connected. You know, especially when it comes to our ecosystem and food. I mean, that... It's going to hit one thing now. You're seeing that price volatility, like you mm-hmm. said, right? But farmers have been seeing this for <laughs> generations, yeah. you know, and we're often insulated from that. A latte costs the same, costs the same, costs the same. We're mm-hmm. not seeing. All you have to do is go, you know, go to the st- go look at the commodities page and see how these are wildly fluctuating and yeah. realize that the people who are absorbing the costs of those price fluctuations are the ones oh, that have the least right. amount 
to, to lose. It's you not, know, it's not about complaining about, oh, Whole Foods is charging $3 for an avocado now. No, they're not. That's not their decision. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, well, we could certainly talk oh, about price gouging okay. and all of that stuff that's happened with, with Whole Foods. But I, I would certainly say, you know, mislabeling of, of prices. But I think overall, for that's me, true. it was really about, about um, backing it up and, and seeing that long story mm-hmm. and who was affected. Mm-hmm. So this book, it, it is called Bread, Wine, and Chocolate, but it is about much more. You go into coffee, as we discussed a little bit, and um, beer. Beer. Um, and these many other many other commodities that we have come to love. That we have come to love and that I think I would argue we don't know as well as we might think we mm-hmm. do. You mm-hmm. know, and that appreciation. The one thing I've really been heartened by is the folks who've read the book are like, I love these things more now. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, then my work is done. Well, I can think of no better time to explore it more than Valentine's Day. Mm, absolutely. We'll what, get to the other chocolate now. Yeah. So what, yeah. Are, what are your plans for Valentine's Day today on this freezing cold day that you landed, well, yesterday in New York? You know, just spending it with people I love. Oh, good. Eating good food, hanging out with you. Sounds good. Going to go over to the Museum of Food and Drink, check nice. out that exhibition. Yeah. Uh, I hear they're working on their heat right now, just so you know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am sitting in this That's studio okay. in snow pants. <laughs> I just want everyone to know. Okay. It's so. all good. All right. I'm sure they're fixing they're it <laughs> as we speak. Um, I think they are. Okay. Yes. All right. Fingers well, thank crossed. you so much for joining us, Simran. It's My been pleasure. an absolute fascinating honor to have you on the show. Kathy, thank you. It's been my honor. This All is right. awesome. Well, happy Valentine's Day to everyone in listener everyone. land. And uh, thanks, everyone at Heritage. Thank you, Liz. We love you, Liz. Love you, Liz. And we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Oh, I like the way you do. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.